Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. I'm Katie Kemner. Today is Tuesday, February 12th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you'll find inspiration in new ideas and have some fun along the way, which you definitely will today because I welcome back my good friend Jeremy Miller, Communications Director for TBWA Worldwide and Managing Director at TBWA Amplify. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm great. It's been a busy new year. We have um, about 10 campaign launches happening in the last two weeks, so it's it's been a rather exciting post-Super Bowl. Even though we didn't have anything on the, the game, I have campaigns launching all around, so it's been good. So now, why do you think it – I mean, do you think more and more companies are actually doing that and, and waiting till after the Super Bowl to launch their campaigns and it's a huge time or, or more people did it around the Super Bowl? Or what, why did your clients wait? I guess that's my question. Um, well, I think, I mean, because well, there's a couple things, factors that come into it. One is you have sort of you, – you wait till post-holiday. So the post-holiday window pre-Super Bowl gives you about two weeks before most of our major press starts shifting their coverage to Super Bowl coverage. So to avoid getting caught in that clutter, probably by mid-January, you, you, it's not a deliberate move, but from a PR standpoint, you, you hope to wait till at least the Tuesday after um, Super Bowl so all the coverage is finished and you can start focusing back on sort of the regular business, so from a creative sense at least. You have a great thing, Jeremy, on your on your bio, and I'm going to read it. And I've asked you before if I could steal it, but I think people would recognize it as yours because it's very you. And in your bio, it says that you're dedicated to magnifying and connecting brand communication to the consciousness of the consumer through compelling and strategic marketing initiatives. <laughs> and I, I love that. <laughs> Um, and, um, you know, Katie, I mean, you know, it's funny because we, we probably all do this, you know, after, you know, when you and I have been doing the campaigns launches and helping our clients navigate that for quite some time, but it's it's evolving. And, you know, and what I'm talking about there is helping clients sort of navigate how to take, you know, if you're doing a $50 million campaign, how to make that truly connect not only with press, but directly to the consumer so they, they have sort of a vested interest in what you're doing. So it's more than just a TV ad coming at them. It's, it's understanding the, the brand in a different way and being connected to it in a way that's relevant. Well, you know, I think you, you touch on something so much, which, which is that our position is evolving so much. And I think the opportunities now are more abundant than ever for PR people who are trying to communicate messages about their companies and go beyond it just being the launch of a TV commercial. But so are the challenges. And, and I want to ask you, because you're right in the thick of things, what do you think are the biggest opportunities you see for putting out PR messages right now? Well, it's, let's, let's be honest, the landscape has changed. I mean, if you even look at our own trades and how the coverage has changed, uh, the majority of it takes place online. 
Um, you know, you're very rarely in print anymore, especially with just the, the day-to-day news. And it used to be that if you, you want a p- new piece of business or if you were breaking a campaign, you could get that covered instantly. It doesn't work like that anymore. The, you know, it has to have a reason to be. It has to have a different kind of news hook, whether it's innovative types of media or a different way you're attacking the consumer or a very large ad spend. So the challenges of that have ch- changed things a lot. Um, and it's also now you have multiple partners in, in the middle of this. So a lot of the times I'm finding on launches that not only am I ended up working with the agency and the client's PR firm and the client, but their direct marketing firm, their um, guerrilla PR firm, their Hispanic agency, their media agency, and making sure all those components come together for a launch and making sure everyone gets it their due. So, it, you know, from an amplification standpoint, that's a, one of the bigger challenges because sometimes the story of the, per, you know, what you're doing from a media standpoint or a, a general campaign standpoint might not be the strongest part of the launch. It might be what's happening online and making sure all the players get, you know, the benefit out of the launch and, you know, strategically that it's focused on the client and not the agency specifically, which is one of the big challenges as well. And do you think, I mean, can you even have separate strategies anymore with news, you know, the way news spreads so fast and you were saying you, you work with this person and that, you know, that agency and this agency, I mean, has it become a question of once it's out there, it's out there, or is there any way to control it? Um, it's once it's out there, it's not out there. I mean, the, the way I look at it now, um, you know, the, unfortunately, the reality is the exclusive strategy or breaking it with someone first still works fairly well because you want to set in place the conversation because as things start spreading onto blogs, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, and, you know, spreading across the web and into other news media, everything sort of sometimes leads back to a, a single source, and everybody interprets from that source. Um, so, you know, how do you manage to that, you know, initial launch and how you distribute the work? Do you give it to everybody at once and hope for the best, or do you try to give it to a reporter where you can give them a little more in-depth understanding and, you know, hope it goes from there? Um, it's a challenge. Uh, it's not easy. And it, trying to figure out how to launch something or just let it go out and be just a purely creative um, story is a challenge. I mean, there's, it's funny, and I think you'll, you, you can agree with us, there's sort of three ways you can attack it. A campaign, um, you know, like, so I call it the Apple strategy, where you don't market the marketing, where the work stands for itself on its own, where you can put it out there and people will flock to it just by the nature of the work is recognizable, it's on brand, and it's something that people want to talk about. Um, those scenarios don't exist a lot, um, and they're great when they happen because by nature of it, it becomes all about the product and the client. And the halo effect reaches back to the agency because you get the benefit of the success of people discovering it. The second way is to try to do strategic marketing launches, which, you know, in today's climate are very, very tough to do. And you end up negotiating with, you know, we have three papers that you can possibly go to, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, try to launch, or the trades, uh, in limited space and trying to convince them that your campaign break and a marketing angle is the right thing to do and negotiating that is tough. Or the third way, and that's what I've been trying to focus on more, is what I, you know, it's what you read in the bio is sort of an amplification of the campaign. And for me, that's taking the ideas that the creatives are coming up with already, apart from the TV and print and the stuff that's extending to consumers, whether it's events, whether it's retail environments, whether it's other things that are mm-hmm. bringing the brand to life. And in, by doing that, the goal is to try to capture 
consumer attention, and by nature of that, if it's something that the populace is catching on to, the press and the Internet and everything is going to start covering it because it's cool. It's something that's happening. Um, and that's the challenge. So while press is part of the goal, the, you know, the real goal is connecting with consumers. And if you do that, the press is going to follow. So it's that third rung that I'm trying to focus on more now. Well, let's talk about that, and maybe you can give me the uh, the scoop. You heard it here first on the hook of what exactly you're doing, because you've mentioned amplification um, a number of times already, and in your title, I see now you have two titles, second title being Managing Director, Director of TBWA Amplify. So right. please tell us what this means exactly. Well, it's sort of a three-phase thing. The first thing that I Amplify is really want to do, I mean, as you talk about connecting the consciousness of the consumer, but my first client, and as I'm sure you're, you, know, you, you can say the same thing, your main client is the agency you work for. Um, for us, we have many agency brands that fall under our remit, whether it's Tequila, which is our CRM, and they do some digital. We have Agency.com, which falls under there. We have a company called Stream that does content. We also have other agencies that you know have splintered off from us, whether it be 180 or Cutwater. Um, and the idea for Amplify started with the core of that, saying, you know, how do I create a company or a, a division of TBWA that can support all of this? you know, remaining somewhat autonomous, servicing the brands, and getting over the conflict problem of, okay, I work at TBWA, so I can't work on, you know, two car brands to help launch. You know, how do we extend the app that? So the idea is, you know, do we create a division almost like a consultancy that can help guide the agencies to to be able to better deal with the press, deal with the launch of campaigns, and, and grow from there? So that's sort mm-hmm. of phase one is building it from that. The second part is to, you know, work with existing clients. And, it's you know, in the late 90s, you know, I would argue that we probably got as much benefit out of launching campaigns as clients did. Um, you know, our name was out there as much, and it was helping the business yeah. grow. But the press climate has changed so much that if you're able to help a client even get a launch and get the press and get coverage on their work, um, it benefits them a lot more than I think it does the agencies at this point because they're obviously struggling with all their business demands to connect to consumers and get relevant stories. Mm-hmm. So the second phase is to start getting paid basically for what we do on behalf of clients, you know, building up all the relationships that we have across multiple media channels, um, whether it be blogs or um, connected press or the relationships we have you know, from other agencies or th- to bring things to life. So that's the second phase. And the third phase would be to create our own new programs and, you know, start bringing those to clients to execute. So whether it be doing retail environments, events, those types of things. So that's sort of a three-phase approach to how I see this sort of blossoming. And right now we're just initiating on phase one across the, the multiple agency brands that we have under TBWA Worldwide. That's really exciting. That's very exciting, yeah, very Jeremy. Cool. Now I want to talk about something um, because you've mentioned it a couple times about blogs, and blogs are something that um, I I spend a lot of time, and I think you probably spend a lot of time thinking about now more and more. Some are written by, I I think the, the, maybe the most interesting thing about blogs or the challenge about blogs or whatever you want to say is some are written by informed and intelligent journalists and, you, you know, who have the backing of a big business publication or a big newspaper behind them, and they sort of go in one direction. Some are written by people who 
didn't work out in advertising or have an axe to grind or, you know, a specific agenda, yet they're all up there or out there, I guess I should say. How do you deal with them and how do you think, and do you think people are able to differentiate one type of blog from another or is that even important? Um, I, yeah, it is important. I, and let's, let's, I'll give you an example. Um, a few years back, we did a spot for um, Nissan for the Titan pickup, and the creative team had used a piece of music that worked very well, um, and it was the bridge over River Kauai. Um, and we were selling a, you know, a Japanese truck with a song that's obviously related to a movie, you know, um, about you know British imprisonment during the World War II, um, mm-hmm. and the blog started picking it up. And you know before it made it to mainstream press, both the client and the agency realized what was happening and were able to get on top of it. Um, and you know when the Wall Street Journal and this is when Brian Steinberg was still with the Journal had found the story, we had already initiated a process of change. So while he still wrote the story, it looked like we were understanding of the cult, you know what was going on in the marketplace and we're able to attack it proactively rather than reactively. Um, So from a blog standpoint, yeah, you have to watch because there are things that the blogs will catch that, you know, make sense from a strategic standpoint that can grow into something more from a consumer culture. Then there's the other side of it where you're dealing things like that we get to deal with, like ad rants or, um, you know, that are, you know, being sort of subversive and have their contacts in the agency. And, Personally, I believe if you try to attack that from a PR standpoint, you feed it more than if you just let it be. Because if you try to sort of, it's part of our culture of the industry. And you, if you substantiate it, sometimes it makes it bigger than it needs to be. Um, and when legitimate press call and ask if anything's, you know, true about the, some of the things they're posting, obviously you, you can get more detail in the history. But trying to correct the blogs gives them more power than I think sometimes they deserve in terms of influencing what's going on, um, you know, and I've seen that with AdRams before. We've had stories about, you know, massive departures happening at the agency, and when in the reality it was, you know, of course you have comings and goings in the creative department, and, you know, the departures they were talking about were like over, over a year. So if you group those all of a sudden and make it look like a mass departure, you know, and then start blowing it up, it becomes a bigger story than it needs to be. And, you know, you depend on your day-to-day journalists to be smarter than that, and most of them are, which is good. And I think, I mean, it's a tricky thing because we had Steve Hall from Adransom before, and I like him. And he said, you know, I get all this information from people, and I just sort of put it up there. And, you know, then you have something like uh, David Kiley or Bert Helm from Business Week who, you know, are blogging about something that maybe they were writing about or something that they didn't have a place for in Business Week but they want to talk about. And so that's sort of going down a different path. And yet you Google, you know, whatever it is you're Googling and, It'll come up in a lot of different ways on a blog. So I think um, it really is a trick of whether you decide to go back and correct. I agree with you, Jeremy. I don't go back in and correct anything because then you're just perpetuating something that's, you know, that, that could be wrong. But it, it's tricky because once it's out there, it really is out there. Right. I mean, I think there's a little bit of separation. I mean, well, you know, fortunately for David Kiley or Bert Helm, you know, the ability to have a blog gives them a place they can't have in the magazine to have a personal opinion. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, you know, people who are really reading this and looking at those blogs are understanding that this is where they're able to put their personal opinion into stories. So, 
and you know, I respect that. And you know, nor do I. You know, if they're writing and I want, they ask for background and more information. Yeah, I'm going to give it to them just so they have a better picture. Is it always going to be positive? You know, no, I don't expect that, nor would I even want that. I, you know, it's not. That's not what the purpose of a blog. But I think there's a balance in some of that too. If, um, and I'm sure you, you know, you deal with probably Louis Lazar at the, uh, in, at the Tribune sometimes too. You know, sometimes his column feels like more like a blog than it does a newspaper <laughs> column. Um, you know, grading spots, you know, so where, where does it, you know, begin and end? And I think, you know, the balance is helping clients understand what it is so they're not overreacting to, you know, a blog or a consumer response to it and helping them, you know, especially if you're doing work that's going to get people off the fence. I mean, you know, you probably deal with this on Burger King. You know, I, I'm sure, you're, you know, Burger King gets complaint calls about this stuff, as we do on some of the candy work. And it takes a smart client to know the, the, who the target is and how they're reacting and when to be brave and smart. And it's the balance of that. And it start, things start spreading and you start getting spoofs and the jokes start coming. You just have to let it be because if you try to influence it, it'll blow up in your face. Do you ever pitch bloggers? Um, no, we do. We do on occasion as part of our distribution. We'll just send them the work mm-hmm. um, and let it be what it is because we know, you know, they want to get it. They want to have direct access to it. And you know, part of me wants to have them have the best versions of the stuff up there. Um, it's you know, it's you know, do we post commercials on YouTube? Yeah, of course you post commercials on YouTube, and then you let it be. You know, if people are going to write nasty things, they're going to write nasty things, and that's part of the game about playing in this environment is that people get to respond directly. But then you have things that suddenly take off that you don't expect. If you look at the, there was a Starburst spot um, for berries and cream, and, you know, we had a character, and, you know, there's probably 300 spoofs of the spot that were posted on YouTube of people acting it out. Those sort of unexpected things, you, you know, your best ability is to hope to put things out there and have that reaction. You can't guarantee it. You can't create for it. But when it happens, it's it's magic. Yeah, no, definitely. I want to talk more about the Internet and how it's affected everything we do. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook. We'll be back after this short break. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. Look smart. Premium and performance advertising solutions. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan from the Daily Searchcast. You know, we love bringing you the news every day, and that's made possible by the sponsorship of BruceClay.com. They've just made Inc. Magazine's list of the fastest-growing private businesses. 
They've exhibited and sponsored at my conferences from the very beginning. Bruce has got that long-standing search engine relationship chart, had been out there with the code of ethics, been a search engine expert in the field for ages. But did you know that Bruce Clay can do more than help you with just SEO? They can do PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding. Everything you need for success in the online marketplace, you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. This is Market Edge. Paul Gillen. He writes the social media column for B2B Magazine and his new book, The New Influencers. Tell us about your book. It's about how influence works in an environment in which everybody is essentially equal. Anybody can talk. Anybody can say whatever they want. There are no rules, no governing bodies, no standards boards. And yet out of this, a remarkably sophisticated system of governance is emerging that is really something I think marketers need to understand. Market Edge with Larry Weber, Tuesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and on demand after the show inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the webmasterradio.fm homepage. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Welcome back. I'm Katie Kempner, and we're talking today to Jeremy Miller, Communications Director for TBWA Worldwide and Managing Director of TBWA Amplify. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Katie. Well, just before that break, we were uh, talking about about blogs, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the internet and how it's changed the way that we, um, you know, we do our job so dramatically, even within the past year. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is when you pitch a journalist, like trade journalists, or um, especially who have a blog or who have or forget about blogs, but an online publication, and they say, "Look, I'm not going to put this." Um, in the, you know, I'm not going to put this in my column or I'm not going to put this in the magazine, but I'm going to put it online or I'm going to talk about it on my blog. Is that good in your opinion? And is there any way to then sort of like retract that if that's not where you wanted it? Um, I, you know, you know what? It's so hard to get space nowadays if, you know, yeah. if that's what we're going in with, um, I'm comfortable with it. Um, you know, there's sort of, you know, a two-prong approach that we've been dealing with. One is sort of the news launch, and then the other is the creative launch. Um, you know, and, you know, for us, unfortunately, most of the creativity stuff is living online. You know, it very rarely gets out of that space. You know, Stuart, you know, obviously with, you know, the New York Times change, he's now posting campaign breaks on the site and putting up TV spots and doing all those things that go along with it. But, you know, that's a rare circumstance. So from a, a pure work standpoint, you know, our space is online. That's where, you know, we're best to influence and it's best reacted to. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I, you know, look at the new ad critic site. Um, you, know, fi- you know, finally, you know, they are able to drill down more than just posting a spot on that. They're doing behind the scenes and doing all those things that, from a creative department standpoint, they love. So that's one side of it. The other side is obviously the client business side of it. Um, and everyone's still caught up in getting into print. But, you know, you look at the papers, and space is so limited. I mean, between limited ad space and limited column space, and sometimes I'd rather have the online story because if they're going to post online more often than not, they're going to write a longer, more in-depth story that they're going to be able to attach spots to, more art. And if it's done well, it's a much more powerful place. Um, because of search, because most people are reading online or 
have their Google alerts and they're being tabbed to stories. It's very influential. And it also, if it's online purely, um, it's, it's there in perpetuity. Now, the, other, the most powerful thing is obviously to get a combination of both, where you're getting the in-print story and then having the artwork attached online where it's, you know, it's even larger. So when they're influencing it and they want to see the spots directly or the launch directly or the story directly, it's there. But yep. no, it doesn't. It's, it's, it just changed the playing field, and it's a good thing. That's when, it, that's when it works the best. Now, I want to ask you one more thing because we're kind of running out of time. But, you, I mean, this is sort of changing the subject a little bit. Um, you work with two of the best-known, if not, you know, well, well-known figures in the industry. I mean, Lee Clow is by far the most well-known creative, and Tom Carroll, you know, is incredibly well-respected um, CEO, and now he's the head right. of the four A's. Um, what do you think for somebody who who's listening, who who maybe doesn't work with some, with people that are quite as well known, but are trying to build their executives' reputations? What are some key things for PR people to remember? Um, well, first off, it helps to have an executive who is comfortable in having the conversation. Uh, you know, you can do all the media training you want, but if you can't have someone get on the phone and be themselves and have a personality, um, it's tough. Uh, you know, I've been extremely fortunate, you know, at TBWA Shy Day to have leaders who are characters in this business. And having a character and someone who can speak in those great sound bites and deliver those great quotes and is comfortable in their skin is a huge part of the game. You know, that the press want to get to, that they want to be talked to, that they're, they have an opinion that matters. They don't have to be over-orchestrated in the sound bite. They're real. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, Tom is, you know, definitely tells you how it is. He loves this business, and I'm extremely lucky. You know, because it frees me up not to have to worry about, you know, making sure I'm hand-holding him. You know, when I'm getting him the information, he's able to handle it. So I can focus more of my time on the clients and the work. Um, and Lee's very much the same way. You know, Lee, Lee is about doing the work. He's not trying to travel around the world and influence the network. He's best served, and he knows this, being attached to, the, to brands daily, whether it be Apple or Pedigree or Adidas. That's what he's doing. So by going out and still creating the best work that he can do and driving that, you know, the conversation still happens. And he, you know, because he's doing some of the most inspirational work still out there, when he talks, people listen. Um, and he's great. You know, I can, I'm very fortunate. I can give Lee the five bullet points of what an interview or what he needs to cover without having to do long Q&As, and he can talk for an hour, um, and it works very well. So, yeah, it's, I, I, you know, let's be honest. I've been very lucky to have leaders like that who don't need to be handheld, who are very comfortable in speaking and want to have an opinion. It's, it's a yeah. big part of this. So, Jeremy, I mean, if, you, if there's somebody that's starting out now or yep. maybe not starting out but isn't as, um, you know, wanting to keep moving in, the, in, in their job and they do what we do, what are sort of the top few things you would tell them that they need to do just in general to be on top of their game? Um, interesting enough, I mean, I think the first thing is if you're getting into advertising PR is – have a relationship with your clients. You know, it's the number one thing that's propelled me over, you know, over all the time. The second is probably to be not about an individual, but about the brand itself. That, you know, when you're, because people come and go, you know, all the changes, all the, you know, the clients come and go. And if you're about the brand, it allows you to be, you know, a rise above 
and I don't want to say pettiness, but above the day-to-day turmoil that happens in agency life. You know, whether, mm-hmm. you know, we, your creative director leaves, you know, you have a president change, account leaves. When you're, when you're talking a bigger game, it, allow, it just changes everything. So instead of making it about an individual that's all the brand, the, who the brand is and by the work and everything that it does, it changes the conversation. And I, and I guess the last thing would be, you know, to truly have an understanding of who you are in the marketplace and then give yourself a reason to have a voice. Um, there's a lot of clutter. There's a lot of the same lingo. So you, you have to have a, a different point of view. Uh, it helps. It gives the reason for the press to want to talk to you. It has them come to you as experts. So those sort of three things sort of encapsulate. It, when you're getting in, you know, be about the brand, um, know your clients, and come up with a, a point of view that's differentiating your company or what you do to the to the marketplace. That was such a good answer, Jeremy. Thank you. You're <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Will you come back this, after you've been doing started, Amplify you know, for a little while and tell us how it's going? Day, Shia Day at the time had a reputation of becoming more famous for the work it was doing than its clients. And, you know, that fundamental shift that happened over the first couple of years I was at the agency and putting it back on to making the clients themselves and the work and the products they do, you know, smoothed out the conversations, especially in the L.A. office. It started managing things differently and giving us a different point of view. Um, you know, and fundamentally, I mean, if you look at how we deal with things, you, you put it through that lens and, you know, mm-hmm. instead of worrying about making sure your creative person's out there, well, this is about the client. Let's make sure what they're doing is out there first, and we'll get the halo effect. And it's, and it's just it changes the way you play the game. Well, thank you, Jeremy. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me. Will you come back again after you've been doing Amplify for a while and tell us how it's going? I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Katie. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening. That's all we have time for today. Please join me next Tuesday for another episode of The Hook. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.